If you've got a Bible, you might want to start uh, turning to uh, the Gospel of John, John's Gospel, chapter 15, chapter 15, John 15. Um, If you're a visitor here today, my name's Raj, welcome. I know I've talked to a couple of visitors this morning. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us, you're very welcome here. Uh, We are working through uh, a book in the Bible called John's Gospel, Um, discovering, and this is what John's Gospel is all about, discovering more and more about who Jesus is said he was. That's what we've been singing about this morning. That's what those readings have been about this morning. That's what people have heard God and shared this morning, the person of Jesus. And you know what? That's a very um, important question to ask. Who is Jesus? You see, I hear a lot of things uh, that many people say about Jesus, have said about Jesus over, over the years, that he was a great teacher, a kind man, a moral role model, a prophet. Some have said he's a figment of my imagination, a fairy tale. Some have said he's bonkers. Not me, him. I am bonkers. But if you really think about it, The only true examination of Christianity, of Jesus, can only be made by looking at who Jesus said he was, what Jesus said about himself. You can bin Christianity if you like, but not before you've really heard what Jesus has actually said. That's fair, isn't it? That's fair. That's how we come to uh, different truths, don't we? And so that's why we're going through Bit by bit, the book of John, uh, which is a rich, eye-opening declaration of this man who lived over 2,000 years ago and phenomenally changed history. Who is Jesus, the real Jesus? Question, do you really know him? Do you really know him? Let's read John chapter 15. Remember, I'm going to skip bits, so try and follow in your Bibles on your phones. Um, John chapter 15. Ah, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, part of his final words before eventually he goes to the cross. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He's using a picture to explain something. He cuts off every branch in me that, uh, uh, every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, says Jesus, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. That's his heart for us, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love 
has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You, Jesus says, are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father. I have made known to you, my friends. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. There it is again, fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. And to end, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it w- if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. When the advocate, God the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Let's pray. Yeah, thank you, Lord, for this this close-up in the presence of God discussion, talk, as Jesus unfolds more and more about himself, as Jesus points to the direction he's going and and indeed the disciples are going and indeed where we're going. I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we open this just massive well of, of, of beauty. I pray, Lord God, that we will take even a glimpse of it into our hearts, that it would change us, that it, was, it would exalt your name, that it, would ch- that it would make us more and more like you, that it would do something in our hearts that shapes the world around us, that it would do something in our souls that motivates us to loving you more and loving each other. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, once again, very famous, very famous passage. The last of Jesus' I am statements in the book of John. He said quite a few of them, didn't he? And here he says, I am the vine and you are the branches and my Father in heaven is the gardener. That's the picture. And then he says, if you remain in me like a vine remains, like the branches remain in the vine, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Crystal clear. That's probably the main idea that Jesus is trying to get across to us very vividly. This was the perfect illustration, if you like, to first century winemakers of what it means to be a partner, what it means to partner with God. And really, that's what I want to talk about this morning. Partnering God in a way that bears much fruit. Partnering God as a privilege to us from the creator of everything. Because you see, we have, because you see, when I thought about this, I have certainly, but probably we have two big obstacles, two barriers that kind of get in the way that the enemy wants us to use to stop us from bearing fruit. Two things that get in the way. One, um, was that we can succumb to pride and assume that our own talents, our own skills and resources alone uh, are sufficient enough to get through. 
relying on myself too much. And the other one is um, despair. We can succumb to despair as we hit hurdle after hurdle, setback after setback. Pride and despair, two obstacles that get in the way of us relying on Jesus, partnering with God. And actually over the years I've found myself ping-ponging between the two extremes many a time. And what Jesus gives us in John 15, if you like, is an antidote, the vaccine, the jab, the cure of this problem, of these two problems. This chapter reminds us that God has called us into the great privilege of partnering with him. And in that, we beat those two things. Disconnected from him, we can achieve nothing. But connected with him, nothing, nothing can stand in our way or his way. I am the vine, you are the branches. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Do you get it? That's the picture. So three things that I want to highlight this morning, three things that I want to highlight this morning about partnering with God. Firstly, God wants to partner with him in proclaiming, declaring the gospel. He just does. It says in verse 3, you, already, you are already clean. Why? Because of the word I have spoken to you. That's what Jesus says. Jesus is giving us a model of ministry which we're to follow here. Remember what he said in John 7, my teaching is not my own, it comes from the one who sent me. In a different gospel, Matthew, Jesus says, when I, what I tell you in the, uh, in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. I like that. Don't be afraid, Jesus says. Do you believe we have an amazing gospel, don't we? Alpha at the moment is booming over the last 18 months, isn't it? Why? Because of the snazzy films that Alpha have produced. Because of our posh soundbar. We've got two of them now. Because of Julie's or Helen's or Zara's or Elam's amazing food. And it is amazing. No. They help get people along. They do, definitely. They help in getting people's attention and, and breaking the ice, as it were. But it's the gospel that brings life and joy and fullness and hope. It's the gospel, the joy news of Jesus, that is so different, isn't it, from any other message. That's what grips the heart of people on Alpha. You see, this gospel, this news about Jesus, isn't primarily advice. It, it is what it says on the tin. It's news. The gospel means joy news. When I was looking into Christianity in the midst of all other things that were going through my head and beliefs and faiths and worldviews, way back at university, this was the thing that really struck me, stuck out for me. I saw that these other religions were about, all about advice, often good advice. I wasn't knocking them. Do this, do that, a list of rules and regulations to get right with God. But the problem was, for me certainly, they didn't change me for the long-term good. They, they actually, they either made me feel guilty because I could never keep up, which was most of the time, or made me feel superior and full of, my, full of myself when I, was, when I was ticking all the boxes, which was very rarely. I could keep up with them for a while, but only for a while. In fact, they'd often make me just do the bare minimum. They didn't change my heart 
rules, the law doesn't. But the gospel, Christianity, was radical to me. It was news of what God has done for me, not just advice about what I must do for God. Jesus died on the cross for me so that all my sin, all my disregard, all my dishonor, all my disobedience towards this loving, giving, life-giving God could be rightly dealt with on the cross. Jesus paid the rightful uh, price for all my rebellion that separated me from him. Suddenly I realized that this gospel isn't advice. It was a gift, actually, calling me to unwrap it, a gift of love. Not a rule book slammed in front of my face. It was life-giving, not condemning. This changed my whole viewpoint of Christianity, actually, and God. Suddenly I wanted to please this God who went out of his way for me. Suddenly, as I looked at the cross, I knew he loved me. I wanted to behave to please him because I knew I belonged to him first. That's what Chris was declaring, wasn't he? And all this started with a nudge from God calling a girl, I I I can't even remember her second name, a girl named Liz who invited me on Alpha. And from then on, the gospel came in power. I was the last person on earth, really, who logically should have become a Christian or deserved it. But Jesus went out of his way for me. Amazing grace. Jubilee, we are called to proclaim this phenomenal news to all the world. That's what, that's, what, that's, that's what we're about, as the Apostle Paul put it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because why? It's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. How is far off? It came to me. This is the soil where revival grows. As Dennis, as Helen, as Andy have prophetically, others of you, who have brought to us in different ways over the last few months. 2 Kings 3 is what Jeremy brought to us. Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches in preparation, Jubilee, so that when revival comes, That's what we've been hearing about week on week, haven't we? That that valley shall be filled with water. God is shouting that over the rooftops over this church. We are being called to dig those ditches. Recognize that heaven is open. That revival will come on Teesside. And in the meantime, our role is to dig ditches for him so that when it comes, that water will bring life like we've never known it before. God wants us to partner with him in proclaiming the gospel. Will you? That's the invitation. Secondly, God wants us to partner with him as his world changers. Not just street changers, world changers. Jesus tells us that we need this partnership with God in everything we do. See, verse 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So yes, the gospel is joy news, not just a list of do-its, but it's joy news, as Jesus is declaring there, with a purpose, with flourishing, with fruit 
with multiplication. Through God's grace to us, not out of guilt or condemnation, Jesus says in here, doesn't he, we are, uh, uh, we are not his lowly, menial, doormat servants, but his chosen, specially picked out friends. You heard that, didn't you? We said it, we spoke it earlier. With honour and intimacy and dignity. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Our faith, Jubilee, changes the landscape. Our faith changes the landscape. Our love for him plays out in the world. It's purposeful. Our, tr- our, our obedience to him is transforming. Let me put it another way. We can be risk takers for God, knowing that he is sovereign and knows all things. That's faith, actually, not taking a risk. I was at a talk by Tim Keller uh, last year, and his subject was, what can Christianity offer our society in, tw- in the 21st century? He was talking to church leaders as well as MPs, cabinet members, and Teresa herself. And he concluded with this, hear this. And here's what the British society, he was talking in Parliament, and here's what the British society can do, to, uh, can get, sorry, and here's what the British society can do to get the most out of Christians, you and me. Demand, not to demand that they become like everybody else. Our modern society says we believe in respect for difference. Okay, respect Christians' differences then. Because as Christians, we are called to be salt, not meat. As salt, we are to be smothered and rubbed into all the meat, every bit of it, in all of our culture and all of society, preventing decay, bringing flavor. But listen, the salt must never be the meat. It needs to be different and countercultural and challenging society all the time if you want it to work best. That's what Christianity can offer to our society in the 21st century. British society, don't ask for anything less. Philip Greensled summarizes John 15 as this. We are summoned and sent by love to love. I'm going to say that again. We are summoned and sent by love to love. We've heard a lot of songs this morning about love. How are you going to play your part, Jubilee? How does this apply to you? How do we earth this in as a culture of church that is radically places people teaside changing? Maybe you're going to share your story, engage in an inviting discussion. Maybe ask someone to our next Alpha course uh, from your friendship groups or family or workplace or street in you or uni, invite them for coffees and even a bite to eat. Relationship often produces fruit. Maybe you're going to offer to be um, there for someone in need, looking after the kids, cooking for them. I just cooked 12 curries yesterday and dropped it off at someone's house. A bit like like Julie, but I do curries for Jesus. (laughs) Cooking for them, doing their shopping, maybe... Being a shoulder to cry on, maybe being a listening ear. Maybe you're going to deliberately join a social group uh, like badminton or running or fell walking or crochet. I don't even know what that is, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The point is meeting new people and building new friendships. 
Maybe you're going to volunteer for any organization, open door for the Hope Foundation, for the, for, for the Jubilee Football Club, watching them, for Sparklers, for Food Bank, even a charity that we have no links with, uh, maybe Mind or, I don't know, a charity shop. Maybe you're going to be mothers and fathers in the church, sharing life and faith walks, praying, encouraging, raising a generation of world changers where our ceiling becomes the next generation's platform. That's what Julian prophetically brought over us, didn't he? Maybe you're going to adopt or foster a child like so many of the churches are doing across the UK. It's not easy. We know that. Um, but, but many of the churches are getting involved with this and saying, I'm going to be different. This is the advance of the kingdom. Maybe you're going to start to give money and time to all of this. Maybe you're going to up your giving as a call from God, as a heart commitment. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Maybe you're going to have boldness to hear God's God in words of knowledge and, and act, act from them. To pray for the sick, to speak the gospel into places of power and influence. Not just in the church, but out there. These are the things that God is calling us to be. World changes, changes, crossing social divides, reaching those who are marginalized and outcasts. The people who others don't want to know. One famous preacher asked his congregation, I can't remember what the preacher was called, um, his congregation the question, who is the most important person in, in the church to God? And the congregation started having a discussion and muttering and mumbling. And then he answered them with this answer. The person who is not here and should be. This is not about numbers, but about rescued souls. As Julian Adams brought to us prophetically some years ago, the church is not an end in itself, but rather the launch pad for the kingdom into the world. Where there is kingdom activity, there more people will get saved. Jesus said, very truly, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because why? I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Will you take him up on that this week? Will you believe in what he says? Will you partner with him to change the world? We are God's partners in proclaiming the gospel. We are God's partners in changing the world, finally. We partner with God as joy bringers. Joy bringers. See verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. I've told you this so that my joy, Jesus' joy, may be in you and that your joy may be complete. <laughs> the church really needs to get this, doesn't it? It does. I do. Often, grumpy or me. Philip Yancey uh, writes, Too many churches have become mausoleums for the dead rather than colosseums of prayers for the living God. They have lost the spirit of Pentecost. They have lost their enthusiasm. They have lost their joy for Jesus. 
Joy Jubilee is one of the main things that marks us out as spirit-filled believers. I believe that. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit that the Apostle Paul talks about in Galatians 5. The famous, famous Romans 5 passage declares, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith in Jesus, we've become a Christian now, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in God through Jesus. The late John Stott in his commentary on Romans, on this passage in Romans says, it seems clear from this paragraph that the main mark of justified believers is it's not rocket science, is it? Did you know there's a website called happier.com? And at happier.com they give you five ways Top five ways to get happiness as the world sees it today. What are those five things I'll tell you? Be in possession of the basics. Food, shelter, good health, safety. Number two, get enough sleep. Three, have relationships that matter to you. Four, take compassionate care of others and yourself. And five, have work or an interest that engages you. Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds reasonable. But do you know how ridiculous that is? Most people in most places in the world in most, over most centuries have never had these things and probably never will. All around the world there are people who will never get enough food, shelter, good health and safety. So what are we saying? Are, they all, are all these people throughout history doomed never to experience la lasting happiness and joy? When I look at some of the films that Michael sends me from Ghana, our, our Ghanaian brothers and sisters in the midst of extreme poverty, when I see those films, I don't get that impression. These guys are loving their worship. What about point five? Engaging and engaging in interesting work. A lot of you thinking, what on earth is that? Particularly Simon. No, no, not particularly Simon. Amy Bloom, an American writer who wrote an article a couple of, uh, probably about six years ago now, um, called The Rap of Happiness, quite frankly, hates all the stuff that's been written about how to be happy, how to pursue joy. She says this, the real problem, it's very profound, the real problem with happiness is neither its pursuers nor their books. It's happiness itself. It's transient. The fact that it's short-lived. It's deep, but often brief. To hold happiness is to hold the understanding, and hear this, that the world passes away from us, that the petals fall, and the beloved dies. It cannot last forever. I hope I'm cheering you up, by the way. <laughs> See the problem? The mass confusion about the world's understanding of happiness and joy. On the one hand, it says, do this, do that, think this, think that, and then you'll be happy. But on the other hand, when we do this, do that, think this, think that, we realize that, hap that pursuing happiness, it never lasts. The world passes away from us. The petals fall. The beloved dies. It's a reality. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. 
Now remain in my love, as the message version puts it. Make yourself at home in my love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Do you see the difference? That's the difference. What the world calls happiness is getting control of your life so that that you keep all your circumstances favorable all the time. Trying harder and harder to make my career go, go well. Trying harder and harder to make my bank balance go well. Trying harder and harder to please my wife and kids. Trying harder and harder to think positively. These aren't necessarily bad things. Some of them are good, but what Jesus getting across here, getting across to us as, the, as, 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 as that which is Christian joy, biblical joy, God's joy, is not, that, is not rooted primarily in those things, but actually in Jesus himself. Because those other things are too unstable. He says, make yourself at home in my love. John Piper writes, every joy that does not have Jesus as the central gladness of that joy is a hollow joy that in the end will burst like a bubble. Jubilee, God is not unstable. God is not rocking and shaking all the time. God doesn't die. His petals never fall. His world never passes away. This God is never-ending, unstoppable, overflowing with joy, satisfaction, contentment, and delight like a gushing waterfall. But do you know what? It doesn't stop there. We're not just going to settle for that this morning, brilliant as it is. This joy doesn't just flourish in the eyes of God. Hear this. It also flourishes, and that's what the biblical joy is so different. It flourishes in hardship in persecution, in setbacks, in suffering, in loss. And a lot of you will know about that, even today. See the final bit? If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. We didn't tell you that on Alpha, did we? The Apostle Paul says it like this, Romans 5. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. That's the good news. Jubilee, this is groundbreaking. What is he saying? Do you get it? He's saying in the midst of suffering, in the thick of circumstances, there's a lot of prophetic stuff about that this morning, in the thick of circumstances going wrong, it's not that God just gets you through by the skin of your teeth. No way, we're not going to settle for that this morning. That's not, what he's just, that's not what he's saying here. He's saying not only does God get you through unfavorable circumstances, but also Christian joy grows. It increases more so in the midst of unfavorable circumstances than if things were just going okay. It grows, it gets stronger. Why? How does it work? Because it drives you into God. It drives you into Jesus, into his joy never-ending. It develops in you a poise of power and courage and strength rooted in the creator of the world. God is large and in charge. Are you soaking this up?
If the band can come up, that would be great. One of the early church fathers, Augustine of Hippo, said, one of the, uh, um, there is a joy which is not given to the ungodly, but to those who love thee for thine own sake, whose joy thou thyself art. And this is the happy life, to rejoice to thee, of thee, for thee. This is it. And there is no other. You're never going to let me down. You're never going to let me down. You're never going to let me down. Jubilee, do you have this radical joy? Do you have this unique joy that never fails you, that's always growing, real, tangible, feelable, as God's love gets poured into your hearts, day in, day out, through God the Holy Spirit? Do you see it now? Do you feel it now? Do you see it enough to be soul-transforming? If you're not a Christian here this morning, you can really see, you can, re- you can only really see the extent of this joy on the other side of the cross. That, 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 the glorious truth that God shows his love for us in, in that while we were still in our sin, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us to save us from the wrath of God. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That for the joy set before him, Jesus, for the joy set before him, you and me, he, Jesus, endured the horror of the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is sacrificial love like no other. This is the overflowing well of delight and wonder and joy. This is God's avalanche of grace that gushes into you as you cherish and trust Jesus and all that he has for you. Listen, are you going to let that pass this morning if you're not Christian? Are you going to grip hold or are you going to grip hold of this love? Draw it into you in a way that changes you. Are you going to move on uh, from this moment and think, Oh, nice sermon, Vicar. I've had someone say that to me once. What are you going to do with these truths? What are you going to do with this joy? Hear this. You can say yes to him right now, right here, if you don't know Jesus this morning. If you want to. He doesn't force you. It's your choice. But he is calling you, beckoning him, beckoning you in. The church is a place to exalt to give thanks, to celebrate the great news that all is forgiven, that God is love, that victory is certain. Let's stand. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. Thank you, Lord, that by your Spirit, we're not just singing dead songs. We're not just getting happy with nice music. But actually, we are encountering the living God. That you are filling us day in, day out. That we hear you. That you change our lives. And I pray this morning for those who don't know Jesus here. For those who are, maybe have known Jesus in the past, but who have slid away. For those who are suffering. For those who want to know the power of the gospel in, our, in, our, in their lives. I pray for the sick this morning, Lord, that, they, that you will come in all your compassion and bring healing in Jesus' name. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will take us out of our lukewarmness, 
and make us world changers for you, joy bringers for you. Let that joy that is in you be in us this morning. Spirit of God, fall on us this morning. Spirit of God, fill us this morning. As we take you, as you dwell in us, Lord, have your way everywhere we go with whoever, whomever we speak to. Let the power of the gospel change Teesside, the UK, and the nations. In Jesus' name. Amen.